Welcome to the AdWoke Podcast. My name is Brett Craig, and here's my story. I'm a former chief creative officer that worked at two of the biggest ad agencies on the West Coast for some of the most famous brands in the world. About two years ago, I was canceled for a five-year-old casting email that someone posted on Instagram. I used some imperfect language. It was taken out of context, and it all happened in the middle of the racial tensions of 2020. The social media mobbing that ensued in the comment section below my email posted on Instagram caused me to lose my job and to be called some rather ugly names that I never thought I'd be called. Suddenly, I went from the top of my career to no career at all. Canceled. Even friends that supported me privately wouldn't come near me publicly. I'm a Christian, and I do believe that God is working all things together for my good, but it was quite honestly one of the most devastating experiences of my life. But it was also strangely liberating. I woke up to a new world, full of uncertainty, but also full of opportunity. The opportunity to do something in short supply in the corporate world today. Tell the truth. I no longer had to be conflicted promoting ideas I don't agree with. And in these times of deceit, I counted a privilege to be able to speak honestly. That's what the AdWoke podcast is all about. I'm going to give it to you straight. We're going to occasionally laugh, and I'm going to say the things you're not allowed to say. Not because I just want to be provocative, although the truth is often provocative, but because I believe the truth will set you free. Welcome to the AdWoke Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about DEI's fundamental ingratitude, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion's fundamental ingratitude that's baked into the worldview of DEI. But first, a word from our newest sponsor, the ultimate We Believe sign. You know those signs people love to put on their lawns to let you know what they believe? Well, they're a sponsor now. So here we go. Let's face it. In America today, it's not enough to just live side by side with your neighbor. It's important that your neighbor know what you believe. That's why if you love the original In This House We Believe sign with statements like, Science is real. No person is illegal. Love is love then you'll really love the new ultimate We Believe yard sign. It has room for everything you believe, as in absolutely everything. At 20 feet tall and 5 feet wide, this sign gives you room to show your neighbors every last thing you believe. For example, in this house, we believe Hillary Clinton won the election in 2016. Bros was a funny film, and if you don't agree, you're homophobic. We believe in being vaxxed masked, and quadruple boosted. There's room for over 100 of your beliefs with the ultimate We Believe sign. Now your neighbors will know every last thing you believe. There are 138 genders. Cow flatulence is killing humanity. Beyond meat is yummy. Everyone should believe what I believe. Isn't it time your neighbors know everything you believe with the ultimate We Believe yard sign? Order yours today. Why not let them know everything you believe? All right, well, go search out the ultimate We Believe yard sign somewhere on Google or Duck, Duck Go or whatever it's called. Go find it. Well, it's the day after Thanksgiving, and if we're doing it right, we have taken the time to reflect on all we have to be thankful for, and we all have so much to be thankful for when we really think about it. Yet, yet, we're living in a world that is largely telling us to be ungrateful, to focus on the negative, to criticize and dwell on what is wrong rather than what is right. Now, let's take the pilgrims. I know I'm not even supposed to bring those people up because they're so despicable and horrible and they came from Europe to oppress everybody, but let's just, let's just, since Thanksgiving was started by the pilgrims, 
let's just say, or they did a Thanksgiving-esque dinner, uh, let's just say uh, uh, that the pilgrims, uh, being a pilgrim, uh, would have been extremely hard uh, if you survived the pilgrimage over the ocean, if a rat didn't gnaw your leg off, if you didn't get scurvy. Uh, you were uh, arriving on a continent with extremely harsh, a harsh environment waiting for you. I, I know that because I'm living towards or on the east, not the east coast, but in the east of the United States, and it ain't exactly Los Angeles weather-wise uh, out here in Tennessee. So I, I know that of which I speak. Uh, so if you were a pilgrim, this is where you would have landed, you know, somewhere like a Tennessee environment. It ain't, it ain't the easiest place, particularly the winter. So it's a brutal environment, and half, think about this, half the pilgrims died in the first winter. Yet, yet, still. In spite of this, the pilgrims took the time to give thanksgiving to God. All right, so here's a the Plymouth Colony statesman, Edward Winslow. I should look up who Edward, Edward Winslow is, but he's a pilgrim, and he was one of the leaders. Colony statesman. I think he was a leader for many years in the colonies. This is what he said uh, about that first Thanksgiving dinner that they had. A harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on a fowling. I think a fowling's like a hunt or something. That so we might after a special manner rejoice together after we had gathered the fruit of our labors. They four in one day killed as much fowl as with little help besides, served the company for almost a week, at which time, amongst other recreations, we exercised our arms. Many of the Indians, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? They actually were hanging out with the Indians, so, okay, that's a little bit weird. I thought they, all they did was kill Indians. I know, I know. But apparently the pilgrims hung out with the Indians. Many of the Indians coming amongst us and amongst the rest of their greatest king, Masawit, Masawit, I think is his name, with some 90 men whom for three days we entertained and feasted, and they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. And although it may not always be so plentiful as it was this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we shall wish you partakers of our plenty. That's what a Plymouth Colony statesman Edward Winslow had to say about that first Thanksgiving or an early Thanksgiving. And the, the whole point of bringing up the pilgrims, which I know I'm not even supposed to do because it's, I don't know, it's... Pilgrims are evil, white, uh, whiteness, Christians, and all that stuff. The whole point of bringing them up uh, is they were thankful. The pilgrims were thankful in spite of the hardship. That's why I bring them up. Because the fact is, life is hard. Life is hard for everyone. It was hard for the indigenous people before the pilgrims arrived in America or in the New World. And it was hard after, but it was also hard on pilgrims. And yet the pilgrims and the Indians together stopped and gave thanks. And pilgrims were not giving thanks to no one. They were giving thanks to a sentient, real God. All good things come down from the Father in heaven, as the Bible says. And so the pilgrims weren't thankful to no one or nothing, as we so often are today. They were thankful to someone. Because you notice that. So many people are like, I'm so thankful I'm so thankful, but like they're not thankful to anybody. They're just saying they're thankful. 
So when you say thanks, if you think about it, you say it to someone. Someone has to receive that sentiment and gesture. And I only mention this to point out how far we've strayed from what Thanksgiving actually is today in America. And of course, some would like the holiday to be banished as, like I said, so much evil whiteness, a practice of colonizers. And really, uh, we should be uh, remembering the genocide of indigenous people because that fits the negative deconstructionalist views of neo-Marxists who have brought us social justice and DEI ideologies. In any case, all this got me thinking about how fundamental being thankful is to being happy. When we're thankful, we're taking into account the many good things that have happened to us in our lives. And it's easy to talk about all the bad things, the tragedy, the disappointments. In the case of the pilgrims, they lost half of their party in the first winter. And yet they stopped, took account, and gave thanks to God. They didn't dwell on what they lost, but rather how they'd been blessed. And the point I'm trying to make, we're all, and this is the point, we're all prone to dwell on the negative things. It takes intentional effort to be thankful, but it's critical to being happy, hopeful, and being a positive person. And I talk so much about DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, and its problems. And given that it's Thanksgiving, it hit me that so much of what fuels DEI is fundamental ingratitude about everything. You know, DEI really is a highly negative view of life. It believes the very worst about people, the worst about America, and has almost nothing good to say about anyone, that worldview. It just doesn't. DEI's defining feature is ingratitude. Because DEI believes that people are simply in a struggle for dominance over each other. It only sees power dynamics. Just one group oppressing another group to gain the spoils, to get the access and the privilege. And that's all life is really about according to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And certainly that's all true to some degree, right? There is some, there's some truth to that. We all have all the evidence in the world that humans can be unfair and inhumane to each other, and they, and they can be oppressive towards each other. And that's, a, that, that's consistent with the Christian worldview uh, that says we are depraved. The data is in, as Jordan Peterson likes to say, and the data would suggest, given human history, that humanity is depraved. But, but, we also do see that people can act in very counterintuitive ways and do great acts of kindness and goodness to each other. We see it all the time. In fact, they say babies, cats, and acts of kindness are what really travels and goes viral on the internet. And I think that's true. I do like the things that pop into my Twitter feed and on LinkedIn or Facebook that are acts of kindness. When we see that, we love it. Uh, and we tend to share it and pass it on. But people, the point is, people are capable of doing <clears throat> beautiful things for other people, even people that don't look like them, right? They do that. They actually do things for people that don't look like them. DEI would never admit that, would never say that it's true, but people do do that. But DEI completely ignores that and only believes the worst about people. But DEI doesn't just believe the worst about people and people groups and collectivize everybody and talk about one group oppressing another, but DEI also has nothing good to say about America. It's just an oppressive country built on whiteness in which the construct of race, this is what they believe, this is where DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, gets its views from critical race theory, the construct of race was simply invented to oppress people of color, which is a ridiculous idea, but that's what critical race theorists uh, posit 
which is where, again, DEI comes from. Therefore, the entire American project is evil, and there's nothing redemptive in it. It must be destroyed and rebuilt, right? It has. That's what defund the police was. you got to get rid of it, destroy the police, and then rebuild the police into some kind of social worker outfit that has no gun and no authority. I don't know what the Black Lives Matter wanted there, but in any case, and again, this idea that race is a construct and it was invented by white people to oppress people of color. This is such a conspiratorial and myopic view of America. For one, and here's just one counterpoint, why would the founders, if the only objective was to protect their dominance hierarchy built on whiteness, why would they enshrine the idea in the Declaration of Independence of all men being created equal? I mean, it just seems like the dumbest thing to put in the Declaration of Independence if your only goal is to oppress black people indefinitely. I wouldn't write that into the Declaration if I wanted to keep another group of people enslaved to me. I just wouldn't do that. Why would you do that? And there's no doubt, by the way, and I've said this many times, that America fell short of the noble ideal of all men are created equal. Its treatment of indigenous folks was terrible, and slavery is an abomination, and we can just choose, if we want to, to focus only on those negative things if we wish to build a narrative in which we only dwell on the negative parts of American history. Of course, no country that does that solely can survive, right? It would be like being married to someone who you only criticize, you only remember the bad, and you can never forgive them for their mistakes. That marriage isn't going to last, but if you can let go of some of the negative parts of your significant other, right, the mistakes, and see them as flawed and imperfect, like you and I are too, and think about and remember and celebrate the great things about your significant other, well, then your marriage or your relationship has a much better chance of success and harmony. Similarly, in a similar fashion, DEI ignores all the good that America has produced in the world. Uh, you know, America, historically, I'm not so sure it's true these days, if I'm honest, but historically, America has been a force for good in the world on the whole, if you're willing to acknowledge and see it, both the good and the bad. And the fundamental ideas the country was founded on eventually were the very ideas that Martin Luther King used to hold America to account for who it claimed to be. Right? All men are created equal. And indeed, MLK reminded us of who we were, or at least who we said we aspire to be. A place where all men are created equal and have certain inalienable rights, and our Bill of Rights enumerated those. And the fact is, it's why the world admires America. And many millions come here for its generosity, prosperity, and opportunity. But again, if you're a DEI advocate, a critical social justice warrior, you can't see any good in America. Part of it is you're not even allowed to acknowledge the good in America. It's just, it's just not allowed. Like the fact that we went from slavery to having a black first family. That is real progress. Regardless of what you think of Barack Obama's politics, and I didn't like him, but still... That was progress, and that was something I personally like seeing, but you're not allowed to notice progress if you're a DEI guru or adherent or a true believer of diversity, equity, inclusion, and you never hear DEI folks talk about any real progress on racial issues. And it's ironic because they're called progressives, but you notice they never seem to think we've made, yes, any progress. That's because DEI is fundamentally built on 
ingratitude, as I keep saying. Its work is to dismantle and deconstruct the American system, the American idea, and it can't de- deconstruct or overturn a system if, he, if it acknowledges any good in that system. So what does DEI do? It criticizes. It points out the negative. It wallows in misery because DEI's goal is to awake everyone's critical consciousness, to see only oppression, to see only unfairness, and to ignore the many blessings of America on its citizens and the world, at least historically, like I said. Which means DEI is built in such a way that it can only exist in a world of ingratitude. Because if DEI acknowledged hey, you know what, America's imperfect, but you know, it's still better than most places in the world. I mean, we didn't have 5 million people come over the border the last two years for nothing. People obviously want to come here. Uh, Where else is that happening in the world to that degree? Are people trying to get into China? So clearly, there are some things about America that are pretty great. Some things are worth keeping. Some things are worth celebrating. Some things are worth being thankful for this Thanksgiving. But... If DEI ever acknowledged that, if it ever acknowledged any gains, any real progress, it would cease to exist as an initiative. You see, DEI thrives on negativity and viewing people in America through a lens of negativity and oppression. And as I said up front, when negativity and oppression is all you see in people and in your nation, you can't be happy because wallowing in that worldview produces what? Yes, hopelessness. Now, I have a friend who worked on What is a Woman, uh, and he's worked on some other uh, movies along the way, and he had a chance to interview the famous anti-racist, the author of White Fragility, Robin D'Angelo, who gets paid thousands to come into corporations and tell white people that they're evil. Uh, But he got to interview her, and he got to do like a two to three hour interview, and it was so funny. What he told me was, it was really interesting, he said. By the end of the interview, he said that she looked at him after they had a long talk, and she said, he said, well, what's the solve? Like, what, what is, where do we go from here if this is your point of view, that sort of white people are inherently racist, and if you deny that, it's your white fragility showing, and we're oppressors, and race is just the ordinary, racism is the ordinary state of affairs of of uh, life in America. And so what, where, where do we go from here with this worldview? And Robin D'Angelo looked at him and said, it's totally hopeless. It's totally hopeless. So when you think about these people who are pushing critical race theory, critical social justice, et cetera, they are very bitter, hopeless people. And, and of course they are. They have been conditioned only to spot the flaws in other people and in society to think the worst of everyone. They can't see any positive. They've adopted an ideology, a neo-Marxist ideology, that won't let them see the good in their neighbor or in their country. They believe everyone has been corrupted by the system of capitalism, and if we were to adopt communism and socialism, then, then all our pain would go away, and we would be equal, and then these miserable souls could be happy, then they could be grateful, but until that time, until heaven appears on earth, they can only criticize. Hence the name critical race theory. Because, because to not criticize, to not teach others to criticize, to not be negative would be to slow down the process of getting to utopia. That perfect state that neo-Marxists promise will surely come if we can just overturn the current system of capitalism and whiteness that causes all the corruption 
that they are myopically focused on. And since utopia isn't coming, and we know that because it's all been tried before, all of this has been tried before, Marx, Mao, Castro, Maduro, Stalin, Pol Pot, and it all ended in mass murder and tyranny, then for the progressive neo-Marxist, the DEI adherent or guru, they're ultimately just hopeless and necessarily thankless. They blame the current system for their unhappiness, but the system they believe will fix their misery never, ever arrives. No wonder the DEI believer is hopeless. And if you're hopeless, you're not grateful, and therefore you're not thankful. Maybe that's why diversity and equity and inclusion folks seem so angry and often vengeful and bitter. Why wouldn't they be? Their worldview demands that they stay negative, that they criticize, that they be change agents who awaken other people's consciousness as well to all that is wrong in the world. Their ideology believes the worst about other people's intentions, and they must believe these things in order to instigate a system change that will lead to a utopian world that never, ever comes. And the truth is, this is the truth, life is full of good and bad. Good and bad people, we have all done good and bad. There's good and bad things about America. That's the fallen world we live in. It's a mixed bag. God knows that. And still God demands thankfulness. In fact, God says it's even worse than that, right? It's not even a mixed bag. We're just filthy rags, everything that we do, and we're depraved. (laughs) So it's even worse than that. But let's just say it's a mixed bag for the sake of argument. God still demands thankfulness in a world uh, where sometimes good things can happen and a lot of bad things can happen. Even in the dark times, God demands gratitude. It's super easy to be negative. That's our fleshly nature. It's normal to be ungrateful. We're prone and we're oriented to see the glass half full. We're inclined to think of what we didn't get, what we don't have. We're prone to be jealous and envious, to see the worst in others, to judge others' intentions negatively. I know I do it myself because I am a flawed, fallen human being in need of a savior like everyone else. And yet, and yet, God says, knowing that there's plenty to criticize, you should still give thanks. Even when we encounter trials, like really tough trials, just as the pilgrims and the Indians did. Even, even in that first winter where half of them died, half of the pilgrims died. Imagine that would have been your family, many of them dying in your family in the first winter. But still, the Bible says this about trials. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So even in the dark times, the unfairness, the trials, we're to be thankful for those trials because why? Because they perfect us. Can you relate to that? Have trials made you better in your life when you look back? I mean, it's not fun to be in the middle of them. I get it. I get it, but can you look back on your life and and see where you got on the other side of that trial and then see sort of the the reason in it, the benefit in it, uh, the change that occurred in you through it? I know I certainly can. What a crazy idea, right? 
this idea that James is talking about, that trials are causes for joy because they perfect us. And if you haven't read the book of James, just open that book and read the practical wisdom the half-brother of Jesus shares with all of us. The book is probably my favorite book in the whole Bible. It's sort of like a Proverbs of the New Testament. It's just James just laying one thought down after another, uh, just full of wisdom. Anybody can pick that book up and read it and just instantly it, it should speak to you. It will speak to you. Uh, and it's interesting because James, by the way, only believed that Jesus was God after Jesus died. So it just goes to show that faith is a journey. Uh, and it was for James as well. It was a journey. But I would say on your journey, pick up James and just read it. See if it seems like the words of God. I think it will. I think it will speak to you. Uh, and that's what James says about trials. And by the way, speaking of trials of oppression and suffering as the DEI folks love to talk about nobody, nobody was treated worse than Jesus Christ. No one abandoned by his own people, right? Abandoned by his own people, abandoned by the cowardly Romans, Pontius Pilate, who washes his hands of the situation. Why? To save himself. Abandoned even by his closest friends, his disciples, and yet, and yet, Jesus is incredibly positive during his ministry and constantly giving thanks to his Father in heaven. He always showed gratitude. Despite the hardships, he was always busy serving others despite being reviled for what? For dying on a cross, naked for you and me. And it's our evil that put him there. And yet he served. Yet he was positive. Despite all that Jesus endured, uh, all he went through, um, he endured. Uh, we don't think of Jesus as this downer, do we, when we think to G about Jesus? We don't think of him that way. We don't see him as this negative person who talked about oppression all day and getting a raw deal. And remember, remember this, Rome was occupied and the Jewish people were oppressed by the Romans. So he could have been focused on social justice, just like the DEI uh, social justice folks are today. But instead, Jesus was focused on serving others, on saving others. He saw the best in people, not the worst. He loved people despite their flaws. Even when they were his enemy, he remembered the best things about the world. For God so loved the world. He didn't dwell on the worst things about the world. He wanted to save this world. So I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Remember, you have a Father in heaven that loves you so much that his son was crushed for you to ransom you back to have eternal life with him. And that can start right the second today. Yes, today. Now is the time, right now. We have so much to be thankful for. And unlike the hopeless DEI guru and adherent who hopes against all evidence that a new man-made earthly system will come to fix all of their disappointments, all of our disappointments, injustice, all the suffering. Only one can actually deliver that government. And until then, sorry, we must live in the imperfection of our current fallen state. And America, despite all of its major problems, they're definitely real, is still better than many government systems, just as the Uyghurs in China would attest to. And there's no perfect system coming, I'm sorry to say, no revolution that will make it perfectly equitable and fair, except one that is coming, um, a 
eventually there will be a government that delivers that. But any revolution today that is led by man is going to end in tears as it always does, as history teaches us. But, but, Jesus, like I said, promises to deliver a government that will be just. That perfect society that the DEI advocate is crying out for, and as I've said before, and indeed all of nature is crying out for, that's what the Bible says. Man can't deliver that system. So no wonder believers in social justice and DEI are fundamentally ungrateful and hopeless because deep down I suspect they know that, just like Robin DiAngelo knew that. But there is hope in Jesus Christ that the Creator can set things right. And He starts in our individual hearts and He begins that transformation one by one. He doesn't do it collectively, as the Marxists tell us. He does it one individual heart at a time. He establishes his kingdom one heart at a time. And someday, someday, at some point, and it's going to happen, he's going to rule unchallenged, right, with justice and fairness and all the things the DEI people want. And until then, we are to remain grateful, even in our suffering, even in our setbacks. So ditch the fundamental ingratitude of the DEI slash social justice worldview, which is such a downer right? You can't be thankful if you have that worldview. And I hope this Thanksgiving weekend, you can take time to reflect on all the blessings that God has given you and even see the silver linings in the challenges that I know you're going through at the moment because we all are. And if you're a follower of Christ, you can have confidence that you're being perfected by those challenges, being prepared for something bigger and better. So I hope you'll take an accounting of all God has done for you uh, this weekend and thank God for it. God loves a thankful heart. Thanks for joining the AdWoke podcast. And remember, you are not crazy.